Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that there is more to confidence in the bedroom or the kitchen or the sex club or a stairwell or the woods or wherever you are. There's so much more to sex wherever you do it than just jackhammering away. But if all you're missing in your relationship is some mutually beneficial stiffness, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets and at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever an opportunity arises. The process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part? It's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office with the doctors that never got trained in sex ed and how to talk to people about it, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They say that there is nothing sexier than confidence, and Blue Chew can help give you confidence where it counts. Of course, I know you sweet listeners know that using confidence to connect, if you can be confident enough to be really vulnerable with someone, to communicate, to create a safe space that you occupy together, that is super hot. That's the foundation of a connection. And if you have a boner, that can definitely help you do certain things that you know that I love, just as long as you don't skip all the other stuff too. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at bluechew.com. And as they say, chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER. At checkout, you just pay $5 shipping. That is bluechew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit bluechew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Hello, lovely humans. I'm Wyoli, and you are listening to Sex Stories, a podcast where we practice not just accepting, but loving all parts of our creativity. And we inspire each other specifically with sharing details of sexy thoughts and experiences so we can all learn from each other and live better fucking lives. Our guest today is a 53-year-old straight white cis man who was born in a small, super bland town in the upper Midwest. He now lives in the Boston area, and his kinks include foreign accents, intelligence, DS and impact play, bodily fluids, a former journalist who now works in higher education. Welcome, Wyndham. Hi, Wyo. How are you? I am so excited to have you here, and I am super curious to know if you had to rate yourself today on a sexual shame with 10 being the most full of shame and one being the least, where do you fall right in this moment? Right in this moment, I would say a two. Okay. What about other moments? Does it fluctuate? It's steadily come down over the past eight to 10 years. 10 years ago, it would have been an eight or a nine. Oh, wow. Okay. So it, it's trending in the right direction. Ooh, okay. We have so much to learn about. Okay. And can you just give us a quick overview, a little snapshot of what is your sex life like right now? Sure. My sex life right now is incredible. The quality is wonderful and amazing. The quantity is less than I would like. Okay. My partner is roughly 90 minutes away from me, so we don't see each other on a daily basis. But when we do, we make the best of our time. And it's the most imaginative, freeing, fun time that I've had ever. Ah, oh, congratulations. Also, a side question to this what would your ideal be like frequency wise? And like you can balance it with length of time if that's a factor. Probably every other day because I've learned that if I have something too much, I don't appreciate it uh -huh. and I don't take it for granted, but I just, I get into a routine too much. Totally. I have all kinds of fantasies of if I had a nearby partner of like 
the like tiny touch days and then like the big session days. That's kind of like what I fantasize about. Okay. And can you let us know what's your current definition of the word sexy or what does sexy mean to you? What is it evoke for you? This, this is a great question. The younger me would have had a list of five or six different physical attributes. I'd be like this height, this hair color, this sort of body type, whatever. The new me throws all of that kind of out the window. And when I think of that word, I think of intelligence. I think of kindness. I think of curiosity. I think of vulnerability. Mm. Those things mixed with physical attributes really across the board is what I consider sexy. Beautiful. Now, what happens to your shame meter when it's time to bring up safer sex? And what does an ideal conversation about safer sex look like for you? A shame meter would be maybe a little bit higher, a three or a four, maybe. Okay. An ideal conversation would be really matter of fact. I equate it to, I recently sold something online through you know, one of the online platforms. <laughs> and I had to arrange a meeting with the seller. And I said, okay, this is how I want to get paid. I don't want cash. I want to do it electronically. We're going to meet at a police station, you know, kind of halfway in between because that's just safe. It's yeah. best for both people. And I'm able to do it without inferring that or implying that the other person is sketchy or that there's a reason to be doing that. It's just for both our sakes. And that's the approach I would take. Love it. Now, take us back to your early years. When do you remember first hearing about sex? And what do you remember thinking or feeling about it? My memories of when I was young, it's more of kind of snapshots in time of different things. Like um, I have an early memory of probably third grade. And I remember being chased by three girls, three of my classmates. And one of them wanted to kiss me. And I was like in the middle of a game of marbles or something like that. And I was like, ah, okay, it won't be the worst thing. And, and if I do it, will you leave me alone? Oh, wow. And so your question made me think of that. But, you know, I think of it more as my interactions with people. I didn't have specific times with my family or friends that I necessarily remember. Okay. I wasn't a hermit. So I probably had very similar experiences to a lot of people, but none that really stuck with me. Okay. And do you remember just for us any sex ed in school or any mention of consent ever in your upbringing? There was zero mention of consent. Okay. Fortunately, my father, who is not a talkative person, he's, you know, the silent type, but I observed how he treated my mom, how he treated my two older sisters, how he treated you know, any women, family, or, or just, you know, out in public. And he was always extremely respectful both to them as well as when they weren't present. Okay. So I, I think I learned a lot just kind of by watching my dad, even though consent wasn't a word that we talked about when I was growing up. Yeah. And then the other question. Any formal sex ed in school? Oh, just the health class where the boys were separated from the girls. And it was really simply, from what I remember, the mechanics mm. of sex, something probably as literal as, the man puts his penis in the woman's vagina and then, you know, a little, little bit added onto that. And then they rushed on to the other thing, yeah. but certainly nothing that would take any of the mystique away from it or answer any questions that I would have had. Okay. Do you remember if you had any questions or do you remember how that affected your own personal explorations? My family was very, they're not demonstrative mm -hmm. with affection. 
And so certainly I never had the talk from my parents. It wasn't something we talked about, joked about. It just wasn't an issue. But that made me more curious than thinking it was something bad or something shameful. So that really triggered my intellectual curiosity. And to this day, I remember reading a book that my mom had on on her bookshelf called something like My Secret Garden or Secret Garden. I've heard someone talk about this before. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So here I am, probably nine or 10, and you know, reading this book about women's sexual fantasies. Mm. And intellectually, it was incredible because, you know, I was reading this stuff I didn't necessarily understand, but I knew that I liked it. I was engaged with it. And, and there was another book, I don't remember the title, but it was a fiction book. And I remember reading kind of the good parts, if you will, uh-huh. um, skipping around to that. So I think my upbringing in those, you know, before 10 years old, before high school was really mostly intellectual. Okay. And then what about when did your physical exploration start? Like what was the trajectory of you exploring yourself and then maybe exploring with partners? That trajectory was pretty slow. I don't remember masturbating until maybe I was 10 or 11. Mm. I don't remember what made me think about it or probably just one day it felt good. Yeah. And I wasn't prepared for an orgasm. And I, I can remember the, the feeling of utter surprise mm. with how my body reacted. Even after all these years and one or two orgasms since, I can still remember what that, what that was like. So, you know, 10 years old, as far as my own personal sexuality, in middle school, high school, there really wasn't much. You know, I attended parties, girls and I would kiss at parties, but nothing significant okay. until I turned 17. And I was dating a woman in college. So that was like oh. the, the best thing ever. Yeah. How'd you meet her? She was just turned 21. Okay. And we worked together at the same, you know, grocery store, kind of that teenage college job. And I always gravitated towards older people. Mm. So I fit in with college kids, you know, when I was 17 or 18. And she and I dated for probably two years. My first time was with her, so an, an older woman, you know, I'm thinking that when you're a teenager, that's a teenage boy, especially. Totally. That's awesome. And the best thing was my parents knew her and we made up this story. We went out of town for the weekend to see a concert. Oh my gosh. I didn't have to lie to my parents. And they asked me, well, where are you going to stay? And I said, well, we're staying with some friends of her. And that's all I asked because they trusted her. And I don't want to say they're naive because parents are never as naive as kids think they are. So I don't think they would have objected. Well, they probably would have objected. But anyway, I only had to lie to them about where we were staying. And we stayed at a hotel, saw the concert, stayed at a hotel. It's probably everything a 17-year-old could hope for. I don't necessarily remember the details other than I was thinking, God, I'm glad there's one person here that knows what they're doing because Mm. I certainly didn't. And I'm sure I was anxious and nervous and excited and all those things. Yeah. You know, she probably was too, because she wasn't super experienced. Now, I think that was, that was kind of formative again in my relationship with my partners and with women in general, that this sounds weird to say about yourself, but I believe I'm, I'm very respectful, very aware of myself when I interact with women in general, with my partners. Mm-hmm. And I attribute that to a lot of those early experiences. Wow. Okay. So that sounds like the feeling was overall positive, if tentative. Yeah. I, even then 
I don't think I had any shame. Mm-hmm. It, I never had it instilled in me. Okay. The shame came much later as a much older adult oh. when I realized that the things that I was interested in weren't in alignment with what I perceived everybody else was. That's when the shame started for me. Okay. Can you fill in the details between that experience with this older woman and kind of when the shame attacked? And then we'll get into all of your favorites and physical details. Probably, you know, in college, I had a a pretty typical sexual life with typical partners. I wasn't, I I didn't have a ton of partners, but I had some, you know, it Mm -hmm. was, it was reasonable. And when I got married for the next almost 15 years, the, that part of me definitely did not bloom or it did not keep developing just the dynamics of the marriage of the relationship. How old were you when you got married? 27 for literally the next 14 years. The, the energy of the relationship was not really of a romantic nature of a, of a sexual nature, not as much as I would have liked it. Mm -hmm. And there's lots of reasons for that. And both my energy and her energy went into graduate school, starting a business, you know, really everything except the relationship. Mm. And all the while, I was still developing in my head these ideas. And as the internet became more and more accessible and available, I finally had an outlet to see, oh, okay, I'm just seeing exactly what I've been imagining, or at least for the most part. So all of this sort of not pent up because it was, it just wasn't a thing, but it was kind of percolating. Mm -hmm. And when the marriage ended, I think that's when my shame meter really spiked because I was having these ideas and, and thanks to the glory of the internet, seeing that other people did as well, but those people weren't necessarily in my circles of people or my dating pool even. So, you know, I would date and it would be great for a while. And then the inevitable statement would come from one or both of us saying, and this is a cliche, but I think it's true. I say, you know, I want to know everything about the other person. And she says to me, she wants to know everything about me. And so I start to tell her everything and she was not prepared for everything as I define it. You know, it's more of a filtered everything. And so I got used to filtering because of that reaction that I would get from most people. Do you feel comfortable telling us what you were exploring and what you were interested in and, and maybe even share kind of how the reactions you got affected you? Sure. I remember... I've always felt that anything that happens between two or more consenting adults is cool. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge. It's not all, you know, my cup of tea, but I've never been one to say, oh, that's wrong or that's, you shouldn't do that or whatever. So intellectually, everything is interesting to me and especially seeing things for the first time that I've been thinking specifically BDSM impact play that type of thing, where it's my perception of it is largely psychological and largely the energy of the relationship. The physical part is great, but that wasn't what appealed to me then, and it's not what appeals to me now. So I think that seeing different perspectives of BDSM, of dominance and submission, gave me a lot to think about. And that's why online dating for me was very successful because 
I could communicate with potential partners in a medium that was not instant feedback, Mm -hmm. no facial expression, no, you know, instant judgment, if Mm -hmm. you will. So I could exchange emails or exchange texts or what have you slowly and, you know, judge the, the energy of the relationship. And at some point, start to be a little more, more real in, in my words, because I could describe myself and then I could judge by her reaction. Mm. If that was something that she accepted and understood, or if it was not something she wanted to be part of. Okay. Can I ask how you started introducing that? Cause that's where I still today am struggling, especially if I'm not on a kinky app or in a kinky space, like what's your sort of way that you feel into it in message form or email form? I'm trying to remember because it's the communication style and the acceptance of certain things has changed a lot Mm. in the past few years. But I would describe myself as I say the phrase enjoyed being controlled, but I was I was more subtle Uh than that, you know, in a way that I'd say that I enjoyed guiding others or something like that, because that is more accurate and mentoring, guiding, leading. So in my mind, how I determined if she was interested was if she asked more about it to me that was a safe way for her to express some sort of acknowledgement and approval Mm -hmm. but if she just ignored it all together then i was like okay one of the analogies i make is it's like trying to get a cat to do something (laughs) i i would plant the seed just a little bit i wouldn't press the issue i wouldn't be overbearing with it i would just kind of put it out there kind of like a little cat treat on the side of the table. And, you know, if, if the person was interested, then they would kind of express that interest. And if they weren't, they would just ignore it. I've learned to not presume too much. Okay. So I'm having a personal reflection moment because I'm hearing all of this like patience and willingness for whatever from you, like, like as you're putting this out and I'm contrasting that with my recent attempts at online dating And like the conversations that I'm having with my best friends afterward are like, why would they just ignore this statement? I don't understand. Why does that mean they don't think I'm sexy? Do they not want to talk about sex at all? I've given them seven windows and they haven't taken, you know, and hearing you spell it out for me, I'm like, oh, yeah, duh. they don't want to talk. There's discomfort there. Okay, okay. What do you do in that scenario? Do you continue to talk to them and see if there's something else and see if they eventually open up or do you dismiss them at that point? I guess I also don't want to be a teacher or a mentor. I'm like, I'm the submissive. I'm supposed to follow, you know. I'm persistent in, in that I don't give up or give up on on somebody that I think there may be mutual attraction to. Okay. Just because I'm impatient. I won't waste time. I won't waste my time. I won't waste the other person's time. Yeah. But I also have accepted about myself that I see the world in a certain way and I may be more sensitive to certain things than most people I encounter. And I need to take that into account. Sometimes I may be a little bit too subtle because for me, it's just right. But for somebody who doesn't know me, it may not be quite direct enough. Well, I'm one of those people that really needs explicit things. Can you give a clear example? (laughs) Or I guess that's kind of an example in itself. (laughs) That is kind of an example. And, and, you know, the other thing is when I'm just getting to know somebody, there's so many other things that would attract me to them as well. Good point. That initially the kindness, the intelligence, the curiosity, those are all things that are that are kind of percolating around as well. And if 
they happen to be so curious and their curiosities match mine, that's great. So it sounds like the online dating explorations led you to great things. Like it sounds like you were able to make them like, tell us the net, what's the next leg of the story, the next chapter. Oh, they led to a a lot of great things. And where's our shame meter? We, are we still high shame meter? Was it starting to melt? The shame meter is going down as I get more comfortable with myself and understand that the type of person that I'm looking for and attracted to, they're out there, they're out there everywhere, but they're not as common as I once thought. Mm. So the shame meter keeps going down. I think I get better at identifying people earlier on who are more in alignment with the things that I like. You know, one of the things I used was I love movies and I love really weird movies that very few people have heard of or books or TV series. I might use that as an example to say, you know, here are three movies I really liked. You know, do you happen to to know of any of them? And if the answer was yes, then I could say, oh, yeah, that director is they do some wild things and some, you know, some unconventional types of relationships. And then we get into discussing that if she's familiar with it. And if not, that's fine. We go on to some mm-hmm. other topic. Okay. For me, it's putting out common interests like we all do. And then seeing if those common interests have any intersection with kinkiness or with sexual interests or just relationship interests. It sounds very obvious when you say it, but I'm literally, I'm like, ah, this is the implicit way to do it. I'm learning. Okay. So what did that lead to? Like, what kinds of explorations? Like, did did you start getting to explore kinky things with partners? And what was that transition like for you? And were you nervous? The the transition, it was a little, I I was like a kid in a candy store because I was finally getting positive affirmation. I was going a lot of dates, a lot of first dates, no sex, because I I need to feel a connection with somebody. And first dates, that was the time for me to see, to do the transition from online to real life, mm-hmm. to see if there was that, that in-person chemistry. So a lot of first dates because I'm good at, you know, writing, I'm good at listening and responding and engaging with people like that. And then I'm pretty good, but not at nearly as good with the in-person stuff because then I get shy because I'm potentially being judged mm-hmm. with immediate reactions. So typically they would be normal almost always would be just normal first dates like what what's a normal the the typical drinks and bowling or coffee and going for a walk or just something like that no kink no nothing significant from that perspective okay rarely would i kiss on a first date because if i don't again that connection that physical chemistry that that i I need to feel first i don't want to feel it after a bad kiss yeah so a lot of first dates very few second dates and even fewer third dates, which, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I had so much fun because I got to know all these different people mm. all the way from attorneys who were pretty far along in their career to women uh, quite a bit younger than me. It, it was just all exciting. It was all fun. And, and I like to think that it was, you know, mutual. I, I never left somebody or, you know, nobody ever, um, yelled at me or I don't think I was ever ghosted. I think that was probably before ghosting was even what people did. Wow. Or maybe I'm just remembering it like that. Either way, that sounds great. I got I got yelled at by people that are like, I like you, Y.O. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not into this, you know, like, so that's congratulations. 
I'm not getting yelled at. I get yelled at a lot, weirdly. I try to be nice. The one thing I, I, I remember just as we're talking, it was with the attorney who was very well-educated, uh, well-traveled, just a really nice person. And we went on two dates. So this was the end of the second date. And she invited me into her car just to, you know, keep chatting or, or something. And we start kissing a little bit. And, you know, I'm, again, very not hesitant, but just I like to feel invited into somebody's personal space mm-hmm. or at least, you know, guided a little bit. And she took my hand, my right hand, and put it just on her throat, just not hard, but just put it there. And I'm like, oh, this is awesome. And I didn't press it. I didn't go any further. I just, you know, I was going at her pace. And she took her hand and and pressed my hand into her throat even a little more firmly. And I'm thinking, I think I want to do this on my own without her having to do it. And so I, I took her hand away. It sounds like there's a bunch of hands, but it, it's a lot more simple than it sounds like. No, I get it. So it's just my hand and I, I keep it there. I exert just the slightest amount of pressure and she freaks out. Whoa. You know, immediately I take my hand away. I'm like, oh, okay, I misread you. I'm sorry. And it's like something that had nothing to do with me happened. That's so confusing. Yeah, but I didn't take it personally because yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was reasonably sure it wasn't me. Because I wasn't doing anything extremely different than than what she invited me to do. Wow. Have you always been that chill? Because I'm still discovering all my reactive parts that get really mad when I'm like, how dare you think I'm terrible? You know, like, and then I kind of, I'm noticing that's a thing I have. I think I've always been, I may have that reaction, but I'll focus it inward mm. to ask myself, is it me? Did I do something wrong? It won't be externally focused. Beautiful. Anyway, there was there were a lot of dates, nothing that was strange like that. I ended up meeting a woman who lived less than 10 minutes away from me. She was very much an extrovert. We ended up going to some swinger parties and she joked with me and she said, even before we went, when we were just thinking about it and kind of thought experiments, she said, you know, I'll be the first one that takes my clothes off. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. She was. And here I am quite opposite where I need a time to judge the energy of the room and of the people, not her. So how did it go? I want to know specifically because I want to take my clothes off first, but I never know how to start it. And so I want to hear what she did. And then I want to hear how you reacted. And I want to hear if you like dropped in and what it was like for you to have this disparity. Well, how she did it was, and I observed this a few times, she was very, very bubbly again, very much an extrovert and she could make friends with anybody. She could do it instantly. So I, and I watched her a few times and the first thing she would do is make friends, if you will, with some of the other women that were there so that she knew that, that it was accepted and and that she was safe and, and whatnot. And after she did that, she felt completely at ease and it was pretty incredible to watch because I would never do that. It would be inappropriate to me in many, for many reasons, Mm. you know, not what I would expect a guy to do. It's a different social context. Yeah. The, the parties, it was, they were very female oriented, which it was surprising to me only because I, it was the first time me seeing that energy. Okay. So that led me to my first partner who I could start to really be myself with because she was, she had been divorced twice and just was this ball of energy that needed to be kind of contained. Yeah. And that's where I come in. You know, I provide that the framework and then she could be safe and still be kind of crazy. 
And I enjoyed that because it's, it was fun. It was a good compliment to me, a good balance. And she was the one who she and I went to my first dungeon together. And this was one I I found online and I read about it. And and of course I'm the, the person who plans everything. And in my mind, I'm thinking all these, all these great things where I struggle is actually pulling them off in reality. And she said, okay, found the place. Let's make plans to go next weekend. And we drove the two and a half hours to get there. And it was overwhelming in the sense of being around dozens of people with all of this huge sexual, physical energy, you know, kind of dimly lit. It it wasn't a a sketchy place. Mm. It was very well, well run. Mm. But first time you're there with the music and just the atmosphere and the people who are extremely free, just doing what they're doing was awesome. But overwhelming for me, she just ate it all up because it just fed into her energy. Okay. I remember sitting down and just kind of in a corner where I could see the whole, much of the whole space and just to assess, okay, this, this is what's happening. These certain things are happening over here. I see that over there. There's a suspension way in the corner, all of these things that I'm taking in, but I'm taking them in at my own pace. Okay. So it was like a sex party happening in a dungeon? Was it just? kinky play without penetration it was no I'm, I'm almost positive there was there was penetration okay it was a mixture it wasn't one thing i've noticed is the experience i've had with the dungeon crowd as compared to the swinger crowd mm-hmm. and i found the intersection is minimal yeah both think the other side is super weird and they would never do that Really? Oh, tell us more about what you've observed. <gasps> it's like a Venn diagram. Okay. You know, the two the two intersecting circles with a, a very small overlap. And I never understood that. I'm having an epiphany. So I don't know if you know this about me. I'm obsessed with circles. I paint circles a lot. I think I'm in a lot of Venn diagram. Like, I think I'm in the tiny middle because I'm so curious about everything and I want to know everything. And the more I talk to people, I'm like, oh, just because you like sex, you might like this one part of it and not, you don't want everyone to touch you all the time. Oh, you're not attracted to 90% of the, okay. You know, and, and so I think you're helping me figure out stuff. Okay. Okay. Wow. That's so interesting. How does that affect you? And like, do you feel more kinky or more swingery? Do you feel like you can hang in both? I feel it's kind of like in high school. I was never one of the popular kids, but I was never one of the social outcasts. Yeah, same. same. I could have a foot in many of the different circles. Uh-huh. And it's the same way with kink versus the swinging versus the lifestyle. Mm-hmm. In fact, a week from now, my partner and I have a date with another couple. Have you done that before? Yes. Okay. This will be the second time that we've seen this particular couple just one couple and one couple. The first okay. time it was five couples, which oh. was overwhelming to me. That's a lot. And I didn't know anybody. And for an introvert to go into that setting. Wow. And I only bring that up again because going back to the, the partner who was the extrovert who kind of got me started on all of this, we met up with a couple, had a barbecue at their place and, and had some drinks and wound up in the bedroom. And we're trading a little bit and not extensive swapping at that point. I'm back with, with my partner for a little, little kind of interlude and break with just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And I do something like, maybe this is a theme. I put my hand on her throat and, and start to do a little bit of breath play. Nothing, nothing extreme. Yeah. 
the other couple notices this. And we, we told them that we're into all sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And again, consent wasn't, I didn't feel the need to say, we might do A, B, and C, you know, do you agree? Maybe I should have. Mm-hmm. But the man and the other couple got really, I don't know if offended was the right word, or he thought I was doing something wrong. Some sort of trigger. Yeah. And so that really caused me to, again, certain people think, oh, swapping your husband, your partner, your wife, having sex with another person or persons is perfectly fine. But having my hand on my partner's throat was weird and and should be stopped. Lovers, this episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. We all know that the foundation to an awesome sex life is excellent mental and physical health. But if proper rest, exercise, and a healthy lifestyle aren't leading to the blood flow you'd like when and where you'd like it, check out BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service that delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra, Cialis, and Levitra, but in chewable tablets at a fraction of the cost. You can take them anytime, day or night, so you can plan ahead or be ready whenever the opportunity arises. And the process is simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days. The best part, it's all done online, so no visits to the doctor's office, no dealing with awkward physicians who aren't trained to talk about sex lives, plus no waiting in line at the pharmacy. Blue Chew's tablets are made in the USA and prepared and shipped direct to your door in a discreet pack. They always say first impressions are important, but what about lasting impressions? Lovers, I do believe that we can always make loving, lasting impressions by connecting and being present and chasing our pleasure and our partner's pleasure. And if your priority is making a deep, deep impression between two beautiful, enthusiastic thighs or cheeks in the name of partnered pleasure, I get it. I've worn a strap on now. I, too, love having a hard cock. Blue Chew and I want you to have better sex. Discover your options at BlueChew.com. Chew it and do it. And we've got a special deal for our listeners. Try Blue Chew free when you use our promo code LOVER at checkout. You just pay $5 for shipping. That is BlueChew.com promo code LOVER to receive your first month free. Visit BlueChew.com for more details and important safety information. And thank you to Blue Chew for sponsoring the podcast. Wow, people have such wildly different boundaries. Right. And I found the same a little bit on the kink side, you know, not nearly as much because it's different kind of guardrails in place. But I talk to people and people who are polyamorous and they talk about swingers in a derogatory way in that, you know, swingers are just in it for the the sex and the physical contact. And I'm like, well, yeah, that's what everybody is agreeing upon. Mm. So how is that worse? Hmm. I can understand both perspectives and I like both, Yeah, but I've just found that there's not a big intersection. Yeah. Well, it, it's interesting because I think the thing that I have been kind of like paying attention to a lot, the more that I talk with different people really is how people get different. They connect differently in different ways. And so it's taken me a long time to be like, oh, I'm looking for a very specific sort of like energetic connection. I can have casual sex with people, but I basically kind of like tickle more out of them as we go. Like I can start in silence. I'll be confused about it. Like I can have vanilla casual sex because I love touching so much. And I would go into a swinger. I have never been in a swinger situation, but like my early threesome explorations were because I was like, oh, more bodies. Great. But now that I'm like learning more and talking to people, I'm like, oh, there is some sort of explicit connection that I really get off on that kink invites because I feel like I'm allowed to have all my enthusiasm where I feel like some of the more implicit vanilla while like very sensual or delightful even with sex fiends it's like they don't want to talk about it out loud you know which is fine if I know that but if I don't know it 
then I spin off into a world of disconnection and fear and like, am I doing it wrong, basically? And so it's taken me forever to kind of start to parse those. I should have talked to you sooner. <laughs> oh, well, I'm not shooting myself. It's a joke. So that, that partner was my first introduction to how life could be with somebody who was excited as I was about new things awesome. in a different way, but in a way that, that I liked. And she liked my ability to be stable and not freak out at things and just go with the flow. Yeah. And ever since then, I've been fortunate to have partners who were very much like that and who, again, I would hear, tell me everything about yourself mm. or I want to hear everything. I want to hear all your fantasies or it took until my current partner of two years for me to feel that I could legit say anything because she said those words to me that I want to know everything about you. And I said, okay, here's what I've learned from past experiences. I'm not projecting, but this is a point that words matter. Everything is a big word. Yeah. And I had to explain where I was coming from and give her some examples. Yeah. And once I did, she, she understood and, and she just needed that clarification. And that's why my shame meter now is two, because I'm with somebody who, for the most part, I can say anything to. I know what might be less well-received okay. than other things. And again, it's using the cat analogy. I'll plant a seed of going to a, a, a swinger event or something, and I won't insist on it, or I won't, you know, really, I probably don't even care, mm -hmm. really. But I'll say, that could be fun, and, and just let it percolate. And she's also an extrovert. And the more she thinks about it and the more it takes on a life of its own in her head, then she almost becomes the driving force for some uh, of these things. Okay. I have two questions. First is a point of clarification. When you say you don't care, to me, it sounds like perhaps more of a non-attachment. Like you don't need it to happen, but there's, there's interest. Yes. Very much interest. Got it. Because... I think one of the things I learned from previous partners is if I care too much and if I get too wrapped up in, in imagining how something will be, rarely do they turn out like we imagine them. Yeah. And I've just learned to be, like you said, more, more detached, but interested. And if this one thing doesn't happen this coming weekend, something similar probably will in a couple of weeks. So I just need to, it's so much a matter of timing when I feel good about, you know, things. She feels good about things. Everything's a green light. But if one of us doesn't, then it's okay. Then we'll just be like, oh, let's, you know, we're going to stay home this weekend, make some new plans. I don't want to force it. Beautiful. Oh man. Those are lessons in patience that I need to absorb. Okay. So my next question then is knowing that you're talking to an extremely curious cat who would eat all of the treats if they are given uh, that's at the middle of all these Venn diagrams. How much do you feel comfortable sharing here on this podcast? Like, like if you were to have this conversation with the partner, like tell us everything that you want to tell us. What is your Dom self into? What is your kinky, sexy self into? What have you learned? What have you discovered? What are your favorites? I've learned I enjoy the psychological aspect of dominance and submission, the anticipation. Oh, one thing I, I found, I won't call it a fetish because that's in my mind, that's very loaded word, okay. a strong interest. When I think back, I've had this interest ever since high school of heavy metal, not the music, mm -hmm. padlocks mm -hmm. and chains and substantial solid steel sex toys because they're so 
unforgiving. Yeah. And I'm kind of a, a sex toy nerd <gasps> in the sense of I want handcuffs, but I'm not going to buy the cheap ass ones that I see online somewhere for $15. Mm-hmm. I'm going to find where I get real authentic police handcuffs and order those uh-huh. because they're the real thing. Uh-huh. When I decide upon something, I want to make sure it's the most authentic experience it can be. Yeah. What metal have you experienced? Like, are there metal dildos? Have you wrapped chains around? I got chains wrapped around me, like heavy ones for the first time in November. And it was in the desert and they were so cold and it was so perfect and mean. And then I and then eventually I like lost my like my muscles started to turn to jello after enough beatings and I kind of got collapsy. And then, you know, they can kind of like squiggle and and pinch. But there was a point where they warmed up to my body temperature. So I completely forgot that I was wearing them. And then I was like, why am I so heavy? (laughs) I went to Home Depot once and bought and and I told them I was it was for a a home improvement project. (laughs) I bought five eight foot lengths of maybe not the biggest, but it's very heavy, very heavy duty chain link. And I use that to wrap around my partner. It's convenient because it's easy to put padlocks at various places in the chain links Mm -hmm. to make different length ties. When I say flogging with a a chain like that, that sounds way more extreme than what I do. I do it gently on her butt. But again, that weight and that cold uh, of the steel. And all the way back in high school, I remember enjoying going shopping for padlocks for my school locker. I would get the big ass ones with a big key, not just yes. the combination locks. Yes. I love, again, leather restraints and the kind that are lockable because I'm going to put padlocks on them yeah. because I want her to feel that, you know, she has to ask me to unlock them. I mean, we, ha- we have our, our safe protocols and everything, yes, yes. but I, wa- I want her to hear the click of that padlock and all of the senses. Let's see. Restraint bench that has shackles is another one of my favorites. You have one of those? Mm-hmm. You do. What shape is it? It's an A-shape. And there's the seat area, and there's a headrest, mm-hmm. and then there's attachments where the wrists go on both sides and the ankles go on both sides. So everything's supported, but everything is completely locked. I want to be in that so bad. I like. Is that also sometimes called a spanking horse, or is that different? From this it's bench. similar, but similar, different. but different. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Th- this is made to really immobilize somebody, both with high down straps as well as metal shackles. That's awesome. I get excited talking about those things. Literally, as I'm hearing you talk, I'm just like, okay, I need to move out of my one open space loft and find a house that has a secret basement so I can have an actual dungeon that my parents won't find when they visit. Like that's my 32 year old. <laughs> I'm still a child. I'm still a child inside. What else do you have? What else do you do? Also, I do want to know like the texture of your Dom persona and how it feels. Does it feel completely different from you? Do you feel pretty integrated? Like what is he like? If you think of a, of a pie chart. Mm-hmm. So the, one of the reasons why my, my partner and I have such a great connection is we have different dynamics to connect with. And so if we're tired one day or stressed or something, we have different things we can rely on. Yeah. Going back to the pie chart reference, probably about 60% of what I consider a, a dominant personality would be the caregiver, the, the, the daddy to her little girl. Mm. Again, she provides the energy and I like to say the whimsy, and then I provide the framework 
and the protection. Yeah. Most of it's like that. Then there's the more traditional dominant submissive where it's, you know, our, our mindset and, and ages and, and kind of everything are equal, but mm-hmm. it's just the two sides to that same coin. Mm-hmm. And then the third component is, would be the sadist and the masochist, which is the smallest of the three, mm-hmm. but it's an important outlet mm-hmm. for both of us. So depending on how we're feeling, you know, if I'm feeling a particular way or she's feeling a particular way, we were able to adjust what the other one is able to receive to accommodate what the other one is able to give. Amazing. Do you call each other different things in each of those modes or does it just depend? It's so natural, but I say, I would say that we do. Okay. You know, it's funny. She, she calls me daddy very openly because we have kids that are still young enough Mm. to to use that word. Mm -hmm. And she's just like, okay, that's just a word that we use. Yeah. And it's really interesting. We probably use like little girl and daddy the most in the other dynamics. The words um, probably change a lot more depending Mm -hmm. on our particular moods. Cool. But I like extremes and she does too. So we would both be bored if we only were one thing. Yes. Only using air quotes. Yes. So we're all about the cuddles and the gentle. And we're also about the complete immobilization, the trying out wax and saran wrap as a bondage thing. And slow down, give some details. It's so the downside. And and she said, this is, it gets super hot because it's not, Yeah, yeah, it's super hot. And we made the mistake of first time we tried it, she was standing up with no clothes on. And I was, I started at her ankles and just going around and around wrapping her with saran wrap, me not realizing Oh, that means she can't bend her legs. <laughs> and so she didn't tip over, but I remember having to, you know, kind of lower her to the sofa. Yeah. Otherwise she would have taken a header, but that was, yeah, yeah. that was one of the, <laughs> but that's super easy, super cheap, super effective way to, you know, restrain somebody. We've done a little bit of uh, sens- sensory deprivation and she was a little bit claustrophobic with a kind of a lightweight hood. So we didn't pursue that. And then one day we were just talking about, again, a thought experiment, how our energy, both of us would change if she was in a a full head hood where she couldn't see or speak. Mm. And, you know, we, again, would have to have the safety contingency figured out ahead of time. But how would that affect me knowing that there wouldn't be eye contact? Yeah. And how would that affect her knowing that sense was taken away? So we, we do a lot of, um, we call them thought experiments. Did you try that one? We haven't yet. I have to, because me, I have to research everything. Yeah. So I have to find the best hood Yeah. that's going to be comfortable and that's made well. And, you know, probably a month from now, I'll have it. I'll Amazing. special order it from Poland or something. But Totally, yeah. totally. I'd love to hear first a little bit about the psychological aspect that you mentioned, and I will get more specific. And then I do want to hear about the sadism and the masochistic element of your relationship and maybe how they relate. Because it sounds like there are these physical pieces, but I want to hear just a little bit more about how the psychological plays in for you. Being an armchair psychologist, I've I've thought about this a lot. (laughs) Thought experiments, yes. I call them noodles, but yeah. And I believe it's Part of the thrill for me is doing things to somebody that 
society says are completely not acceptable, that my upbringing completely was against doing them and not only having them accepted, but having them eagerly embraced by my partner and, you know, doing things and, and treating her in a way and having her come back excited and coming back more connected and coming back with a shared vulnerability and having that be a positive reinforcement loop. Lovers, we are going to take a quick pause for a word from our sponsor, and they have given me notes to do a sultry female voice, so I'm very excited and I'm going to do my best. Did you know the Flora app is a safe place to open up, embrace your desires, and find like-minded people? This is the story of one couple who found the threesome of their dreams, discovered a new level of shared passion, and stepped into a whole other realm of possibilities. All thanks to Floor. As life's routines settled in, Robert and Lucy found themselves yearning to explore uncharted territories. So they downloaded Floor and embarked upon a thrilling journey of sensual experimentation, learning more about each other's desires in the process. Open-minded and adventurous, Robert and Lucy dreamt of adding a new dimension to their intimacy, sharing the touch of another woman, being witnessed and connecting in a way that transcends the ordinary. In Fleur's diverse and accepting community, Lucy connected with Emily, a babe craving the same experiences. So they invited Robert to the conversation. The chemistry built and anticipation heightened as they exchanged messages until finally their agreed-upon date night arrived. A gorgeous hotel was the setting for their evening of pleasure, passion, and connection. A shared exploration that fulfilled each party's desires. Fleur app celebrates the beauty of open-minded connections. It's a platform where fantasies come to life and desires are embraced without judgment. For couples seeking adventure with others or individuals keen on exploring, Fleur invites us all to a world where every desire is a possibility waiting to unfold. Download Fleur now, express your desires freely, and find like-minded people today. I relate so strongly to that, and I, as I hear you talk, I'm thinking it is, for me, kink allows me the ability to have the extreme levels of enthusiasm that I feel toward most of my lovers, but I feel like I have to hide it most of the time because the times where I, like, let it out, they're, like, freaked out by the show of emotion, and so... Sometimes I get random YouTube comments that are like, don't kink shame. And I don't believe I have ever kink shamed. Like nobody has ever pointed out to me like what I said that was like anti-vanilla. But but mm-hmm. it's just I have never had a vanilla partner where I felt like all of my sexuality was enthusiastically welcomed. I felt like I've been like tolerated or like allowed but like not even appreciated you know and even and that's the part of me where I'm like well just tell me I'm okay and I need to and so as I hear you talk I'm imagining those parts and I'm just feeling into the bits that like that I love because it's that connection like that like seeing her get turned on and excited and feeling the like mutualness of both sides of the experience and knowing that you're giving each other that that's so beautiful I'm so happy that you found that okay so so now how does that kind of connect to the more physical parts particularly the parts that include pain for you for me, it's one of the, the few times that I really am able to disconnect with my responsibilities, my anxieties, the things that keep me up at night mm-hmm. when I'm in that mindset of complete acceptance, but also I'm expressing physically, whether it's with my hand spanking her or with a flogger. Oh, one of my best toys, the, the name is awesome in itself. It was, it's called a steel whipping rod. And essentially... Back in the old days when cars had antennas, uh-huh. 
it's like a car antenna with a weighted handle. Oh my gosh. Ooh, does it go? Whack? Oh my gosh. What kind of marks does it leave? <gasps> it leaves very significant marks. Whoa. And I like it because it's like there was some punishment I gave her uh, for not completing a task. And the punishment was being hit six times on each butt cheek. Mm -hmm. And it's so specific that the marks kind of in real time, I could count one, two, three, four, five, six, and then did it again. Yeah. Oh, wow. And it's the precision that I enjoy with that, that a flogger is fine, but it's for when I want to inflict pain. There's certain things that I prefer. Totally. I was like, floggers are yummy. I mean, I get, you can have the mean little stingy ones, but I love a good flog. Like that's, that's so, yeah. Do you have an order of operations for like which toys you use? Or like, do you ever have any rules? Like don't use this toy after this toy or anything like that? No. No. Just feeling into it. I have a kinky or a duffel bag of kink um, mm -hmm. where all the, the toys are. That's a traveling duffel bag just between our two households that awesome. I never quite know what I'll have in there because I may leave things at my place or her place. It may yeah. be in the, the bag itself. So it, it's kind of whatever we're, we're both feeling. That's great. I heard you talk about swinging and it sounds like you do. Do you go to parties with this current partner as well? We started. Okay. So our, our first one together was a couple of months ago. Okay. And do you guys identify as more monogamous or are you open to playing with others? What's that structure like for you? It's an interesting dynamic. For example, the, the first event we went to was the five couples and we all met in a, in a hotel and a bar and, and had appetizers and drinks and they all knew each other except the two of us. We were oh, the wow. two new kids. Okay. And so she had no experience with this. I had a little and we're just trying to understand the etiquette and what to do and, and making small talk. And all of a sudden, two people left. Not They didn't come partnered, but they were the, the people that kind of moved things along. They went and got a hotel room. And then before we knew it, we were all headed up to a hotel room. Oh. I'm like, okay, we'll just go with it. Super small room. It, it was a nice hotel. I, I Maybe it was the last one they had. Okay. But it was uncomfortably small. Oh, no. And they brought one of those Bluetooth speakers, turned up music that was really super loud. Oh, no. And, of course, the rule follower in my head was thinking, somebody's going to complain <laughs> about the noise. Somebody's going to knock on the door. Yes. But I'm watching these people, and the women are getting undressed, and the men are, you know, kind of taking that appreciative stance with the women and just watching the women dance together. Before we know it, people are fully naked. There's four or five people on the bed just engaged in various ways, she and I are watching this. And long story short, she gets overwhelmed because there's just, it's so much for her to take in. Okay. And I'm in that mode, very protective of her. And yeah. I, I, I told her ahead of time, when you need to leave, you just tell me and we'll leave. No questions asked. And she said, you know, she's getting overwhelmed. She went kind of into her, her little girl mode. She needed protection because she mm -hmm. was overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. So we left and then had a good talk about, you know, what we saw, how it surprised us. And we both said it was a lot to take in. And then she said, of course, the next day, you know, I think I want to have a pool party with, with that group. Oh. And so two weeks after that, we're having a pool party at her place with the same group of people, people getting naked. And she's very extroverted too. And she's very sensual. She's very kind of handsy and just very in a, in a good way, mm -hmm. whereas I'm observing, kind of still watching people getting getting a feel for them. And she's going from person to person, sort of hugging and giving, you know, little neck rubs and 
being a good hostess, as, mm. as she calls it. And two of the couples end up leaving. The third couple stays and we're both attracted to them. And I think the guy is nice. He's not a jerk. He's respectful. His wife is attractive and she's also an extrovert. And my partner and his wife start hugging and kissing. And I'm like, where did this come from? But I'm going to go with it. And I'm not one of those guys that will just gawk at two women. You know, it's like. But wait, but don't you think they're showing off for you if they are your partner? Or is that an assumption that I shouldn't be making? Because I'm sort of like, if this has been on the table and now my partner's doing this and they know that me watching is going to turn me on, what are my, like, how do you figure out your rules? I created the the framework that she felt safe in expressing herself like this. Okay. And it progressed so that she and this this other woman went kind of across the room onto the sofa and just started making out. And, you know, it was very much about them and about how they were feeling. And that's what she told me afterwards. Okay. She said it just felt so comforting and sexy and exciting. Okay. How was it for you? I'm still trying to get a sense of the people. I haven't connected with them yet. Okay. I don't dislike them. I don't have any red flags. Okay. But it was strange, you know, sitting across a room making small talk with the woman's husband. And it was fine. You know, I hate small talk anyway, but yeah, it was such yeah. a surreal circumstance that I just went with it. So that progressed into my partner. She wasn't kissing him, but she was she had her hands around him and you know, he's he's very much into it. Well, eventually she starts giving him a blowjob. And these are all things that she and I have talked about beforehand. I said, if that's what you feel like and it feels safe and, you know, go for it. It didn't make me jealous. It didn't particularly turn me on. I think I was still in a protective mode for her. Uh And, you know, I've never seen her do that. So he's loving it because he's getting it from his wife and from my partner. The part that I didn't like and that I struggled with was I told my partner in order for me to be comfortable with doing anything with another woman, I need to feel a connection. And she took that to mean like an emotional, I want to have a relationship mm. with that woman type of connection, Oh, I see. which isn't the case. Yeah. I don't know what I meant by it. But if you had to guess out loud here, because I think I have a version, like, do you want to practice articulating it? Again, it goes to mutual vulnerability because I don't let people in my space ever unless mm. I feel that they're, I guess, acknowledging it and, and that they're respecting it. Yeah. And like I do when I'm in their space. So when I say a connection, I probably mean a little bit of mutual vulnerability. Yeah. It doesn't mean that I want to marry this person. It doesn't mean that I want a relationship. It means at the moment we're interacting and I'm super aware of the energy. If I'm not feeling like I'm wanted there doing that at that moment, it's not really interesting to me. Oh, I can relate to that. So my partner and I, we, we need to refine how we conduct ourselves and, and what we expect. But we were able to talk about it. Nobody was upset. We were doing it again in a week. So clearly we both enjoyed it. Wow. And I enjoy seeing her happy, proud of it, that she has that effect on men and women. And I think, okay, she and I are, we're solid. You can do whatever you want. And I just want her to feel that way about me. And I'll get there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And she knows that I'm 
not going to uh, do anything that's that's unpredictable or you know immature or anything like that. It's so beautiful, I think, to speak with you in this moment as you are in the thick of like this exploration. It's really cool. Like, I feel like I could talk to you in a month and who knows where, you know, what, what exactly you'll be up to. Right. I would love to hear first, maybe just the highlights reel of other things. And you can literally just list them that you have enjoyed or loved and or things that you still like really want to get into. Oh, outdoor sex was awesome. Like backyard, full backyard, super hot in the summer, completely secluded. And I've never had that experience before of the sensation of the sun and the breeze and just walking around like God intended us to. Yeah, that's so cool. Wait, so secluded, like are there neighbors or could you have to be quiet? There are neighbors, but there's woods around. Oh, amazing. We're really getting into, again, the the bodily fluid thing with saliva and pee and really anything, just the, the body chemistry is a whole different level when when we include that aspect. How do you do it? Where do you do it? Like, have you pee? Outside seems like a really good spot to pee on someone. I mean, shower is the obvious choice. Outside in the shower, we're talking about how to do it in the bedroom on the bed, mm. whereas she just wants to do it with minor preparation and my mind thinking, okay, we have to get the right kind of sheets. We have to do all these steps. Yeah. I'm team prepare or I'll be so distracted by the fact that I'm ruining sheets, mattresses, pillows, whatever, you know, like I can't, yeah. I can't, I can't. <laughs> yeah. So the reality is somewhere in the middle, but it's a turn on for both of us to have it be like, let's say we're just waking up in the morning and what would that feel like to do that rather than, you know, get up out of a warm bed, go to the bathroom, come back and, you know, and just go yeah. Whoa. and just that release for both people. Uh-huh. But it's definitely uh, dominance and submission. She frequently asks when we can do it again. Wow. And for me, I have to be in the right mindset uh-huh. really to do anything specific and, and very visceral like that. Mm-hmm. I can't just do it because it's Friday night. Yeah. I have to be 100% into it at the time. Yeah. The other thing that I want to do, and I don't know why I haven't, is making homemade videos. Because porn stopped interesting me so long ago because it's so boring to me. And I realized the only thing that I'll like probably is ourselves because that's capturing the details that I'm not going to remember. And it's so connecting and intimate that it'll be like refreshing. And she's all about that. She's very much an exhibitionist and would be up for that. So That's amazing. You met on a dating app? Yes. Ah! Yes, we did. I talked to so many people who have so much success and I just... Okay, I guess it just takes a lot of filtration and keeping your spirits up. <laughs> yep. Wow. The cool thing was she had been in very few relationships. They were long term. Yeah. And then I came along and she hadn't really done anything like what we're talking about here. Or I've, again, using the cat analogy, I just plant different things and different ideas and, and ask questions. And then, you know, she'll think, oh, that sounds really exciting, really sexy. Let's try that. Wow. Again, it, it reinforces the the leadership and the kind of the caregiver, the the daddy role in introducing her to new things at a pace that she accepts. Like you said earlier, um, and she and I have had this discussion in that I don't want to just be accepted. I've been accepted multiple times. Yeah. But they're only accepting 
a filtered version of me. Yeah. And what I want is to be enthusiastically accepted, all of me. Yes. And desired for all of me. Not tolerated. Yeah. So that's why this relationship is completely different. Even on the outside, it may look similar, but the inside, it's completely different. Absolutely. How long have you been together? Two years. Okay. And it sounds like you talk about sex pretty regularly or, or you at least have an ongoing dialogue. She wants to all the time. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, cool. Which here I am, you know, complaining. She'll say, she'll ask me if she can give me a blowjob. And I'll have to say no because sometimes I'm just, you know, I'm not into it. Really? I do it nicely. Like how, like, is it because you're like busy working or is it like you're, or are you already fucking and she, and you're just not in the mood for it or, or what do you mean? No, if, if we're already in the midst of something, then it's, I'm, I'm in that mindset. Oh, okay. okay. But oh, got if, it, got we're, it, got it. if we're just, to, this is a real example. It happened yesterday. It's the example I used of when you uh, sell something online and you're meeting up. Mm-hmm. I literally was doing that yesterday at mm-hmm. a police station. Mm-hmm. And she said to me, the, the other guy was doing something with his car. And she said to me, you know, I really want to drop down on my knees right now and give you a blowjob, knowing that there were cameras behind the police station. And of course, I said no. Yeah. And then five minutes later, a police officer comes out and lets all of us know, hey, you, you know, you, you really need to be doing this, meaning the exchanging and the selling in our front parking lot. Oh. And I'm like, she probably would have if I had said yes. <laughs> so when she's secure with somebody, she's all in. I love that. And I honestly do hope to find a partner that helps me push my very rule following boundary, like not outside my safety zone, but like there is a part of me that wants the risk, but absolutely could never initiate that. And I probably couldn't say yes to something like that. But right. if I were wearing like short shorts or a skirt, I'd be like, please stick your fingers up. You know, like that's like within the tolerance level. But I'm I can really relate to a lot of what you're saying. I'd like to hear a few if, if there's anything else that we need to know, kind of like I know this is not a complete picture, but like what are the other important pieces for us to understand your sexual being and your sexual self where where he is now in this moment? I can appreciate the evolution and I can look back and understand why I struggled with not feeling accepted and not feeling like there were people who thought the same as I did. And I I feel very fortunate that I kind of stumbled along the path that I did with the people that I met Mm. because it, it all led to this point. And I feel that the best years are ahead of me, contrary to what I might have thought 20 years ago. Yeah. The cliche of youth is wasted on the young. For me, that was totally true. I didn't appreciate kind of the, if I could tell the younger self, just chill out and find your people and have a good time. Okay. That's definitely what I would do. Beautiful. Okay. Well, you totally preempted my wrap up question, but I actually do want to jump back to your kind of middle years because something that I wonder a lot, I hear so often from people who are in relationships where there is a dissatisfaction. Sometimes it's just physical, you know, sometimes it's just the sexual piece that's missing and they love the rest. And sometimes it's more of it. Can you articulate what was happening in your head and mind at that point? Like, was it really just a matter of like, I'm busy focusing on grad school and life and this other stuff? But I heard that there also was a piece of you that like wanted more. But how did you kind of, I don't know if justify is the right word. How did you make sense of it at the time? At the time, the distractions, the grad school, the starting the business, 
that came as a result of lack of focus on the relationship. Mm -hmm. So that energy, my energy and, and her energy went externally rather than internally towards the relationship. In hindsight, we weren't well aligned from the start. Mm -hmm. And with me, I need to have, again, that emotional, intellectual, physical connection, all of it intertwined in a big, messy jumble or a wonderful jumble, depending on the day. Yeah. And if one of those is, is not there, then the other two or three or however many, they wither. Yeah. So it needs to be that combination. You know, it took this long to find it. And each, I guess, each relationship, I got a little bit closer to it. In hindsight, what I'm proud of is I never had an affair. I never, you know, found a, an outlet for those things in another way or, or something that I couldn't live with. Mm -hmm. But in hindsight, I definitely tried to do the right thing for too long and thinking, if I only work a little harder, if I only do this, then that'll magically turn things around. And I just didn't have the maturity yeah. to understand when enough was enough. We don't know till we know. I do want to know while we're still here, a little bit about your physical body. How does your penis like to be touched? Are your balls up for grabs literally? And what about your asshole? I'm not a fan really at all of ball tugging or suckling or that's it's comfortable to me. I like tongues. I like tongues everywhere. I think tongues are underrated in terms of their uh, adaptability. <laughs> they can go and the sensations they can create. So if there's a tongue anywhere, it's a good tongue because it's a tongue that wants to be there. In terms of how I like to be touched, it's usually a, a more gentle, soft grip, not a death grip. Lots of saliva, lots of lube, definitely slippery. Okay. In terms of butt stuff, that's another area that I want to explore more. Mm -hmm. I haven't probably because of some hang up I have about hygiene or something like mm -hmm. that, that I just have to acknowledge it. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's exciting to think about. And I'm not, I think it's stupid to put an area of your body off limits for some arbitrary reason. Mm -hmm. There are good reasons like nervousness and inexperience. And that's, you know, and I also just want to say to everyone, I just bought a new lube. This brand is called Cake and they have like downloadable guides and they have one for butt stuff. And it's really fun. Like it's a really fun, like if you just search Cake Lube, like there's a fun little PDF with cute drawings and it's just like very thoughtful and it's great. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw that out there for everyone since I know I've inspired a lot of butt stuff with this question. <laughs> oh, the best, the best lube. And I don't know if, if you've used this and it certainly isn't an endorsement, but Uber Lube, it, it should come in a bigger bottle. Yeah, I just ordered two more of those bottles because we go through it so fast. Great. But, so yeah, tongue everywhere, slippery. And one thing I, I, I've learned that I had to explain to my partner is, you know, as as the dominant personality in the relationship, as as the male, I don't feel inherently submissive if I would be anally penetrated. It's all about the energy. Totally. She assumed that if she did that to me, that would mean our energy in our dynamic is is switching and i said no no it, it is if we want it to yeah it, if that's what we agree it means but if i tell you to do something that makes me feel good you'll do it and our dynamic is 100 percent intact totally i actually didn't even understand that anal penetration alone was a dominant act because the first time that i penetrated a man's anus with a toy i was ordered to do it and it was like in active service. So it didn't even occur to me until I started talking to people. And I was like, and, and it 
took me a second to understand the assumption behind that. And that's my brain is so fucking earnest sometimes that I miss, you know, kind of the culturally acknowledged tropes. And that's why I'm like here being like, but tell me, what is it like for you? Because I'm trying to collect all the details. Okay. Hopes for your sex life going forward. What are you looking forward to since the best years are here coming, coming and coming and coming? Mm -hmm. Definitely more, more in quantity and more in depth of group sex, whether it's, I, I wouldn't want to go more than another two people. Threesomes I don't really like because one person I think always feels left out. Mm. So I think, I think four is, is for me, the, the magic number. Okay. I'd like to explore that a lot more because that variety of sensations and experiences, it's like crack cocaine to my yeah. brain. When I have that, the rest of the world kind of, uh, kind of evaporates when I'm taking in new stimulation and um, new sensations. I want to go to a, like a swingers resort where everybody is in that mindset. I don't know if I'll like it, but mm -hmm. I want to experience it Same once. Yeah. So, and just being comfortable with getting older, acknowledging that what I could do and would do 20 years ago is different than now. Mm -hmm. And that's perfectly fine. Yeah. And again, I'm in a much better place now than I was 20 years ago with how I feel about myself the potential. So the other thing, the last thing probably would be really continue delving into our different dynamics of the dominant and submissive and sadist and masochist. Because to me, those are the, there's the most internal hesitation mm. to acting in those ways where the caregiver, the daddy, that's much more inherent to me, but those okay. other parts are there. And I want to see them bloom and see them evolve. Can we zoom in for just one second and talk about the parts that feel harder to access there? Sure. The The part that's harder to access is as much as I enjoy, I do get satisfaction and arousal out of causing somebody pain when it's asked for. Oh, it's just made me think of. And when my partner, a couple of weeks ago, she was upset about something or, or working through something or crying something, not not about me, but just internally. And, and she was crying and I you know, wrap my arms around her and was comforting her. And I started getting an erection and I realized it's the sound of crying. I wasn't feeling dominant. I wasn't feeling, I wasn't really feeling anything consciously, wow. but in hindsight, I thought of all the times to be getting aroused, that wasn't it when I was, you know, comforting somebody. And so I'm, I'm trying to understand Wait, why not? Because to me, it goes along perfectly with like the nurturer and the holder of like the anchor, the holder of space for your wildly uncontained extroverts. Or is it like more of a pain thing, like was a response to the pain? As I try to make sense of it, I've felt a very similar thing when I've been inflicting pain and somebody mm. has cried. Oh, yeah. Those are the parts of hurting somebody that I'm most internally conflicted with. Okay. That part of me loves it but then i feel guilty and i'm haven't done it enough to work on those feelings and to process yeah it's in progress it sounds like do you have that same feeling of hesitation around ordering somebody to do something for you or is that easier to access if it doesn't involve pain that's easier okay. it, it's it's much easier i wouldn't say it's easy every day every time i'm thinking of it mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's something about that visceral 
connection that goes from being kind of punishment where I'm just spanking and it feels good and all to this is the real thing that's going to leave welts. It might lead, which I'm all fine with if that's yeah. the extent we want to go. Okay. One follow-up question to your threesome statement, not pressuring you into trying anything, but just a curious thought experiment, a little noodle, if you will. Can you envision a situation that might be fun for you where you're controlling the situation so nobody gets left out? I'm imagining an MFF, FFM. So and I'm, I'm imagining a situation in which perhaps you could, because just, and I'm this is really coming from a place of pure projection, so maybe I'll just couch it in myself. The one time I had a really great threesome with a kinky couple and... I felt so well orchestrated. It was so delightful. And the Dom was just like, here, here, put us together there. Keep us apart there. Not allowed to kiss. Allowed to kiss. Spanking you, spanking her. You watch, you hold the drink. And I, I had so much fun. I imagine it would be a lot of work for a Dom to hold. But I guess I'm just throwing that out there as a, would, would that ever be fun in a fantasy situation for you, at least as a noodle? It would. We had a threesome like that with uh, another woman who was kinky, but okay. I wasn't attracted to her oh. in the way I needed to be. Got it. But I did, I did get a little bit of a sense of, to use the word orchestrate, that's exactly right. Yeah. How, you know, if, if the vibe is right with, with all three people, yeah. you know, all of those different combinations, they're all up for consideration. Okay. I'm just always holding the sparks of hope for unknown possibilities. So do you have a sex question you want to ask me? Absolutely. In 20 years, when you're looking back at this at the things that you'll do after this. How do you anticipate your attitudes about sex being affected and or your sexual practices based on the things you're learning, all these cool strangers you talk to? It's such a big question and I'm already so full of unknowns. All I can do is make guesses and tell you about what I've experienced so far and project from that. So I think I'm currently in a phase where I've like, taken in a lot of information but still like really only a fraction of like sexual knowledge and in the direct contact where I'm constantly speaking with people who are very kind open vulnerable willing to share with me that's warped my worldview because I'm like everyone's so wonderful and like lovely and everyone lets go of their judgment when it comes to sex I do think on some level it is an equalizer because we all have a relationship with sex but I can notice that there's a feeling inside of me that perhaps now it's time to learn more about implicit communication, which I have today from you already a little bit. And I'm working on some like formal processes to do that, that parallel my explicit learnings, because I basically am creating a curriculum for myself to like learn sex ed, but basically just work my way through all the lists of stuff I've wanted to know forever. And then like, I don't know how art is going to fit into that. And then I'm increasingly curious about exploring a kink I have that I've never talked about publicly on this podcast because it is so taboo. So I'm figuring out how to share that and how to explore it. And when I think about that and 20 years from now, I could be anywhere. And I hope it includes more group sex experiences. I hope it includes sex parties at resorts or safe spaces where I feel comfortable and like not encumbered. I hope to create spaces where everyone can show up to feel comfortable, like they know the rules of that space, like they can trust that if they show up, because this is what I want for myself and I haven't found it yet. And I know it perhaps is out there and I'm in the process of searching. So whether I'm going as an attendee or as a, like these are, these are my big hopes. 
And I can only imagine that 20 years from now, I will have a lot more like not giving a fuck about the things that don't matter, I hope. And a lot more. Um, I'm very resilient, but I have gained a lot of anxiety in my recoveries from the 20s. And so now I'm like looking inside of my heart as I'm like attached to a 56 year old master and also wanting to have more connection, but also wanting to fuck more people, but also now entering a weird space where people are projecting stuff on me because I have followers and like really not knowing how to navigate all of that and feeling so full of like love and desire, but then like also pretty avoidant romantic. Like, I don't know. Like I'm kind of a mess, but like delightful. Like I'm so excited and my big hope is that I can actually create this mobile dungeon mission, although I need to find a vanilla friendly phrase for mobile dungeon. Playship. They are going to be called playships because I really do want to have this like literal exploration space. Like a cre- I think it might be like creativity exploration space. And I do want to travel around the country and maybe the world. And I don't know yet if I can make that into a reality, if I have enough energy to will the hundreds of thousands of dollars into existence to cover that. Like maybe, like I've done it. I've done some stuff in the past like that, but not not to that scale. So the highest level version of my 20 years from now dream, I hope to open a brothel, a legal brothel when I am 50, like by my 50th birthday. That's like a hope I'm holding lightly. In my perfect vision, it looks like the spaceship from Futurama or something similarly goofy, like crash landed into the desert with an oasis built out around it. And everyone who works there is acknowledged as an artist, whether that is purely a sexual artist or there. I imagine we all have our own units that are kind of like shipping containers. So everyone has their own private space and it's spread out and kind of like has that vibe, you know. So so I'm really in my biggest, best vision, like I'm tipping the needle and it's making a difference. In the other versions, I'm just tipping a needle and I just hear from people about how their lives are affected. So I'm you know, that's what I'm setting out to do. I have a lot of fear around like, oh God, I'm never going to be able to connect to partnership. I'm never gonna have a family. I'm never like I have I'm so full of fear in so many ways. But also I'm so obsessed with this work and talking to people that I'm like, well, I obviously can't abandon it. I'm not going to stop being obsessed with sex is what I've realized. And so I think the only option is to find partners who, like we were saying, are willing to not just accept all of me, but are like on board for the ride, for the literal ride. (laughs) Wyndham. Thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome. It was was an excellent experience.